0: Just before we get started, today's podcast talks about sex and sex education, in case you need to be mindful of who you're listening with. I think it's really hard for parents to um, talk, or some parents, to talk to their children around sex. I mean, I found it hard. Sometimes your kids don't want to listen to you talk about these things. Uh, I mean, I know I've tried to talk to my kids about it and they just want the ground to swallow them up. I look at my own background and my parents brought us clumsily into a room and separated the boys from the girls and uh, and it was very awkward.
1: I come from the generation where you, your parents didn't tell you, you only learnt anything from friends and when I went to school, no teachers told me anything at all either. So I learnt nothing.
0: Kia ora, I'm Sarah Robson and today on The Detail sex education. When I was at school, which was in the, let's say the 70s and the 80s, you learned from your mates at school. You know, my father and my mother never, never told me anything, but these days I think parents take more of a hand in the development of their children. But what should be left up to parents to teach, and where should, and do, schools step in? I think it should be a bit of both the kids should learn amongst their peers and sit down and just get the basic facts from a health educator who knows what's happening and also not all parents probably I'd feel that maybe I'm not completely up to date with all the different things that the kids might need to learn. Our co-host Tom Kitchen takes a closer look at what's being taught in schools about sex and relationships and asks an expert for advice about how parents can best tackle some of these tricky conversations. First, Tom talks to Dr Rachel Dixon, a senior lecturer in health from the University of Canterbury. She used to be a high school health teacher before she ventured into academia. They begin by talking about their own experiences of sex education before looking at how it's changed.
2: I'll tell you what I got out of six-headed. It wasn't much. We called it 6 ed back in the day. I left school over a decade ago. It was in health class, uh, I think in year 10, it was taught to us by our PE teacher. These are the highlights, if you can call them that. Well, this is just what I remember. Um, Watching a human reproduction video in year 10 science. I remember seeing a baby being born. And my health <laughs> teacher saying one in 10 people are gay and everyone laughing about it, which is a pretty awful kind of situation to be in, you know. So that was that was kind of the perception at that time.
3: Yeah, I mean, you got more health education than I did uh, at school. I was educated at high school in the 1990s. I just remember two uh, one-off sessions, really. One of them was um, around the condoms. And one of them was around the periods and, you know, the period products getting handed out to the girls. Um, So that's a pretty limited um, approach to um, relationships and sexuality, Ed. So it's now Um,
2: called RSC, which is Relationships and (laughs) Sexuality Education. It's a mouthful. It is. Yeah. Do you know um, know what it sounds like to me? It, It sounds like it's religious studies education or something. (laughs)
3: It is quite a well-known international term, to be fair. Um, So, yeah, in 2020, the Ministry of Education released their most recent guidance to teachers to kind of support teaching this in the New Zealand curriculum. And this is where they renamed it uh, Relationships and Sexuality Education, because relationships kind of underpin a lot of what we do in this area. So where does it start at school? Yeah, I'm going to use the acronym RSE from here on. So learning experiences in RSE do begin from year one or level one of the curriculum. And at that level, we've got a focus on friendships, relationships with the family, etc. So some basic ideas about being kind and being caring. In those lower levels of the curriculum, children explore body parts and ideas around safe and unsafe touching. We want to give them the the language to be able to use if they are in a situation where they do feel unsafe or are um, subject to some unsafe behaviour. And then consent is a broad term as well in terms of, I don't know, the right to say no when it comes to anything to do with your body. No one can touch you unless they say it's okay. Um, Even how to be a good friend in terms of respecting other people, respecting boundaries, that sort of thing. Later on in primary school, there'll be changes to wellbeing at puberty. That comes in um, a lot you know, more discussion of um, relationships, including potentially the non-platonic um, type of relationship and all sorts of ways to keep yourself and others safe in a range of situations. Um, and if we're doing RSC, that's sort of sexuality-related situations. But we also do a lot of work around alcohol and drug type situations, not so much at primary school. That's something that comes in a bit more in secondary school. When do you start learning about sex as such? I think most y- young people and children would probably learn about that first and foremost in the home. I mean, the classification office did some research in 2020 where they found that the majority of their, the participants in their study had accessed pornography online by the age of 12. Whether they had stumbled across that or deliberately were you know seeking that out. Um, so I think our children and young people are learning about sex or, you know, some of these behaviours that they see or hear about online outside of schools and outside of the classroom. So what we want to do in health education and RSE is actually to wrap that educational perspective around it, the criticality, the focus on wellbeing and, um, you know, attitudes and values that promote healthy relationships so that in some ways it's a bit of a balance to the messages um, that they're getting from everywhere else in this world. I've got a scenario here that might be used in year 10 or 11. So we're talking about 15, 16-year-olds here. My girlfriend sends me nudes of herself without me asking. My mates are jealous. They don't get sent this sort of stuff. So I share her pics with them. She doesn't know I share them. I don't think she would mind but I'm not going to tell her in case she stops sending them. Ooh, so, oh, oh, that, that sounds bad. This is, I mean, well, this is this is the reality of, um, you know, young people these days and and the the nudes. Um, so this here, it was a shortish scenario. So that's something that um, the groups can get into. So a teacher will have prepared some discussion prompts, and a scenario like that is probably going to be discussed in a small group different groups in the class might actually have different scenarios and then they respond to the prompts and then they might share their ideas with the wider class so we can all of us can sort of get a bit of an insight into what what people are thinking any more scenarios you've got there yeah again this this one you could use in year 10 or 11 a couple has been together for a month and they're talking about having sex one has had sex before but the other hasn't but they say they have because they're embarrassed. So this one here, we need to just be aware that the age of consent in New Zealand is 16. So teachers do need to be mindful of that when they're using these sorts of scenarios um, and they'll discuss that as part of the learning, particularly if you are working with that 15, 16 year old age group there. You might've also noticed that the scenario has not used he and she pronouns. So a discussion point for students may include whether the sex of the couple actually makes any difference. The sorts of prompts I might use with this scenario are what things might the couple consider before deciding to have sex? Why might the person who hasn't had sex before feel they need to say they have? What impact might this have on the relationship and their well-being overall? And actually this one, there's lots of stuff we can do around this and that's really fascinating to see what young people think. Would you say this is a healthy or unhealthy relationship? Why or why not?
2: How prescribed is the curriculum?
3: So in New Zealand, we have what a lot of people call a framework curriculum. And we this may change with the refresh of the curriculum. But at the moment, with health and physical education, we're working to the 2007 curriculum. And we've also got the relationships and sexuality education guide from the Ministry of Ed, uh, which does also outline some possible key learning um, for each level of the curriculum but it is really important to note that it is there is no prescribed must cover content in the curriculum at any particular level here um, and it is up to schools to um, design a local curriculum for health education that meets the needs of their Learners and also, reflects some of the views of the um, community in terms of fulfilling the obligations around community consultation for health education.
2: I wanted to ask you about that. So schools under law have to consult about health education, don't they?
3: Yes, so health education is a bit of a curiosity in the um, Education Training Act. It is the one um, subject um, in our schooling system that is sort of specifically mentioned in in two different clauses of the Education Act in terms of... um, Consulting and the right to withdraw. So it's the only it's the only subject. It's the only named subject. So it's 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 inter- it's interesting, but it is an opportunity for schools, boards of trustees, and and the teachers who are teaching it to to gain some views of of the community. It is quite a specific um, consultation requirement that's in there. It is basically every two years, board of trustees needs to consult with the community, which mainly involves the parents of the children at the school, but it may also include uh, other people that they deem to be part of the community. And for a state-integrated or a um, special character school, it might also include the proprietors um, of the school. Such as a church? Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the diocese or yeah, whoever is um, um, the governing body there. And it is also important to note the other part of the Act that relates to health education is that... Parents do have the right to withdraw their children from the sexuality education components of health education.
2: So when you see the role of parents and teachers, they have two quite distinct roles, don't they, in talking about sex. Um, Do you think there should be like, are there some things that parents should do at home versus students should be taught at school?
3: I think the danger in saying that something needs to be taking place in the home and then the school can take care of this other thing is that we do have, you know, we have that range of cultural diversity and some parents are just not equipped or prepared to have conversations, these open conversations at home. Um, It can be very challenging. It's a very challenging space. But we also just want to make sure that young people and children are not just being educated by what they're seeing online or in social media. Um, spaces or what they're hearing about from their peers in the playground, which also might be um, what is a common form of um, misunderstanding and misinformation as well.
1: I'm actually a firm believer that I think sex education is first and foremost a role
2: of the parent. I think growing up as someone that didn't really get their education from their parents, it was always a shock to me that when friends told me that they did have that happen to them, But I also noticed that they definitely had a much more mature and grounded
1: approach to relationships.
2: I think schools. I remember my school had an entire day dedicated to sex education and we had, I think it was four or five different classes. One of course was the mechanics of it all, we had another class on diseases and things like that, but importantly as well we had a a class on consent. I never got it from my my parents. feel as though they're always a bit too awkward for it.
0: How, how do you start those conversations? I don't want to have a bloody clue. So, um, you know, because I was of that generation where my parents never spoke to me about it, so I didn't even know how to start those conversations. How should parents approach the topic? Tom spoke to Nick Bates, a clinical psychologist who specialises in relationship and sex
2: therapy. The birds and the bees. Parents mm. find talking about the birds and the bees with their kids uh, often pretty awkward, don't they?
1: Well, they do. And um, I mean, uh, you know, I've been as a sex therapist, I've spent a, a good portion of my professional life trying to undo the damage and heal the, the pain caused by the, the fact that adults are not having those conversations with their kids. What I find is that the adults aren't even having them with each other. If you can't talk to your partner about sex, then the chances of you being able to talk to your kids are fairly low. Why do you think
2: it's so hard for us?
1: <laughs> um, because we have a lot of anxiety uh, about about sex and about ourselves and our worth and our attractiveness and you know, oh, there's a whole parcel. It's the birds and the bees talk, you know. I remember, yeah, which is what? a yeah. really unhelpful uh, way to way to frame it up. Why is that? Because um, it makes it sound like there should be a, you know a single conversation rather than ongoing conversation throughout a whole lifetime you know the aim should be to be having a a, a conversation about the broader issues of uh, relationships sexuality bodies consent all of that stuff there are aspects of that that you can be talking to about with your preschooler where do we Um, start where do we start well we start with how we relate to our own children do we do we allow them to set boundaries do we allow them um, what's Formerly known as bodily autonomy, so the, the the right to be in control of their body. So, the classic example is, is 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 forcing a young child to kiss or hug somebody that they don't know very well. And if you, if you force your child to do that, you're you're teaching them you no, know, you don't get to set boundaries. Other people are allowed to impose themselves on you physically. That's not good learning for later later uh, understanding about consent.
2: How old would a child be when you would start those conversations?
1: As soon as they're old enough to kind of go to show a preference for not touching somebody or not hugging somebody or so probably before they can walk. Because I mean, why are you forcing it? It's usually about social embarrassment. So, you know, your concern about the aunt or the uncle taking offense is more important than the kid learning, you know, they actually can be in control of their own bodies.
2: And where can you go from there?
1: you keep having those conversations i mean kids are curious about their own bodies teach them about them i was just discussing this interview with um, uh, my my partner verity who's you know also a relationship and sex therapist and we, she was reminding me that you know our, our son asked at four you know how does the sperm sperm get to the egg it had enough education that he knew that there was a sperm and egg and she just told him, well, oh, the penis goes into the vagina and then, the, you know, the sperm comes out and it wiggles its way up a tube to get to the egg. Now, that was the end of the conversation. But our friends were shocked that she'd been so explicit. But it's like, well, he just, he wanted a question we gave him a factual answer. That was the end of the conversation. I don't remember having those
2: conversations with my parents until I was at least 12 or
1: 13. I think the other thing, you know, the reason why ideally parents should be doing this work rather than outsourcing it to schools is that each child is different and what they're curious about is different and what they're curious about at different ages is different and so trying to you know adopt a one-size-fits-all approach for kids is you know is not going to give kids the, the the best option so it's about you know relating to your kid and what they're interested in and what they want to know about and what they're ready for um, you know, our daughter was really interested in the nitty gritty and the nuts and bolts, and about relationships and sexual relationships and sex and all that at a very early age. And our son wasn't. But like, is there like a particular time where you should teach your
2: your children about some of these key aspects?
1: I mean, if they start showing interest in in dating or in you know you know being attracted to to somebody else and showing interest. And sex, I mean, then that's a time to talk about that. But there are things like, you know, ideally you watch a TV program or a movie with your kid. And most, you know, a lot of TV and a lot of movies will have something about relationships in them. You know, action hero movies still have relationships in them. And you can chat about those things oh, he went ahead and did that without asking. What do you think about that? You reckon that was fair? Yeah, so you can start younger talking about
2: relationships and how to have a good relationship. Absolutely. And maybe you move that on to uh, a wider conversation about what sex is.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing is that when your kids start showing interest in, in sex, The thing is, you need to have an an open enough and honest enough relationship with them that they are willing to signal that to you, maybe not explicitly tell you, but, you know, where you can track it and go, oh, and then you can talk to them about it at that point. But that point is going to be really, really different for different kids.
2: Are there some things that you think should be taught in schools versus being taught by parents?
1: Parents modeling having those intimate conversations, I think, is is really is irreplaceable. However, I, I think kids being given accurate information about how sex works, and and in terms of things like attraction and uh, arousal and um, uh, you know gender differences, uh, but also individual differences. So those conversations, some of those conversations, should be at school. Well, I I, I think you know, yes, they should be a part of the the, the sex ed curriculum um, so that, you know, people who aren't having that at home at least getting some of that information.
2: But, yeah, that the other difficult thing is, you know, you want to have some consistency, don't you? You're going to get some consistency at school versus the parents. Parents have different values, come from different backgrounds, so they might learn completely different things or not learn things at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I think in practice, I think it is really important that we have, a robust sex education curriculum within schools. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But I think it should be a backstop. There is quite a lot that we know that is uh, you know useful and significant, and yeah, it can be taught. And a and I mean there are you know there is, there are some really good uh, models out there for um, for good uh, sex six sex and relationship ed. And I really hope that some of them are getting into um, into the schools now.
2: Okay. Well, look, um, thank you. Thank you, Nick. Really appreciate it. I mean, yeah, just Here's to summarise, point. like, you know, if parents come to the end of this podcast, they're a little bit like, that was a lot of information, a bit overwhelming. I need a few steps, you know. Mm. <laughs> what can I do?
1: Well, I think, you know, treat relationships, treat, you know, uh, um, sex as 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 just part of life. Um, hopefully, you you know you'll talk to your kids about death and illness as well. You know these are all part of life, and they they they're not necessarily easy things to talk about. They're not necessarily comfortable things to talk about. But intimacy, you know, real intimacy, real sharing at a deep level, is often uncomfortable, is often anxiety provoking. And so the the, the modelling to your children of we can talk about difficult subjects, we can, we're allowed to be anxious, we're allowed to feel awkward, and we can still have the conversation. And if you, you know, modelling that is so valuable and so useful.
0: That's it for today. I'm Sarah Robson. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. It was produced by me, Bonnie Harrison, and Mark Jennings. And thanks to Rachel Dixon, Nick Bates, and everyone else who talked to us about sex. Ka kite no.